minutes ago. Looking real good in my passport photo. Amateur Traveler, episode 610. Today, the Amateur Traveler talks about beaches and snorkeling and kayaking, indigenous people, waterfalls, and sailing ships as we go to the Gunayala in Panama. Welcome to the Amateur Traveler. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. I'm hoping we have a treat for you today. It's one of those destinations that I had not heard of, and I'm hoping that at least for some of you, this is something that is new on your radar as well. So let's talk about the Gunayala. I'd like to welcome to the show Lynn Smith from lynnsmithdestinations.com, who's come to talk to us about Panama, but a little different itinerary this time. Lynn, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you, Chris. And I say a little different itinerary. Why don't you tell the listeners what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about going to Panama, the city of Panama City, and not spending a great deal of time there, but to move very quickly to the coast and spend five nights aboard a charter boat and enjoy the Guna Yala Islands off the Caribbean coast of Panama. The islands are also known as the Guna Yala, and that is spelled G-U-N-A. Y-A-L-A, two different words. Excellent. And why are we going to the Gunayala? We're going to the Gunayala because we're looking for some fairly untouched reefs off the coast of Central America where it's fairly easy to get there. You can enjoy amenities as a traveler from the United States, for instance, but you can also get away from it all and enjoy some private time, quiet time aboard A boat traveling from one island to another one in very quiet seas, enjoy snorkeling, and get to know and meet the Gunayala people. Okay. Well, and I think you've given us our itinerary right there, so we'll skip over that and talk about getting a boat. So let's start with the basics. First of all, can I just come down and walk up to the harbor and get a boat, or can I do that while I'm at home, or either one? I don't believe it would be very easy to do that by just showing up on the coast because (laughs) (laughs) the effort to get to the coast from the city of Panama is rather extensive and it's very organized for travelers, I should say. It's not something that a traveler rents a car in Panama City and drives to the coast and shows up at a marina and jumps on a boat. Someday it may well devolve into that, but right now it's still a developing world area out there on that Caribbean coast uh, Mm -hmm. off of Panama. Again, that's the draw. That's the attraction is there aren't any hotels. There aren't any really tourist facilities. There are no restaurants. There's no development along that coast. It's all rainforest that comes right down from the mountains onto the Caribbean Sea. So it's quite removed from modern city life. And therefore, it takes a bit of work to get there from the city of Panama. So the first piece of your trip is to get to the city of Panama. And then the second leg is to make the transfer out to the coast to one particular place where everybody goes, and it's called Carti. That is all organized ahead of time with your skipper or your hosts aboard the boat that you choose. And how do I find a skipper if I'm sitting here in San Jose, California, and know that I'm going with a reputable skipper and not, say, a pirate or a drug runner? (laughs) That's a really good point to make because it can be rather sketch in the area if you don't know what you're doing and you don't get with a reputable skipper, as you point out. So I actually started on TripAdvisor, which is kind of my go-to these days Mm -hmm. in planning trips. I've been planning trips abroad 
primarily in the Caribbean, Central America, since the late 1990s or the turn of the 21st century. And it was a little more difficult to do then. But now online, you can just go to TripAdvisor and begin to see what the patterns are there for recommendations for different boats where you can catch those boats and then begin reading those recommendations and look into those and look into the websites and so forth. So all to say, it's strongly recommended that you make all arrangements before you ever leave your home. Everything should be secured ahead of time. Your airfare, the place to stay in Panama, because you will be spending the night, very likely, because you have to catch a 5 a.m. ride in an SUV to the coast with some other people who will be in the same SUV. So it's a shared ride. Okay. And then you'll make your way to the coast, which will be a one-day trip. You'll leave early in the morning. You'll arrive at the coast approximately three, three and a half hours later. And it's a pleasant enough trip, but you will be going over mountains, and there can be some difficulties there. We can chat about that in a minute. Some uncomfortable rides for those who might get car sick. So there's a few tips there. Okay. Once you get to the coast at Carti, it's not really a marina as most Americans may have experienced them. There aren't yachts and boats and restaurants and lots of hubbub. Instead, it's rather rough and ready. There's a restaurant there. There's an area where, which is basically a building where you disembark from your SUV and you go into the building and you would pay a small fee per person to enter the area of the Guna Yala because it's managed by the Guna people. So they do charge a per person fee and I can go over those fees as well, cash. Mm -hmm. They're very nominal, but you just need to know what you need to do. What are those fees as long as we'll put a pin in that one right now? So the fees are typically, and again, these are the tips that we were very fortunate. Our skipper and his wife have done this for years. They've been aboard their boat in the San Blas or the Gunayala Islands and hosting families and small groups and couples and individuals aboard their boat. So they have a whole website. They have tips and tricks, a PDF. They make all your arrangements ahead of time to help you make with your transfer from the airport to your hotel, from your hotel to the coast, the boat that takes you from the coast itself, from Cartier out to their boat and back. So all of these are arranged ahead of time. And part of the information that they imparted to us in print, so I could print it out and study it, was, oh, here are some of the fees that you're going to pay. And these are individual, and you need to bring cash. U.S. is fine. Well, we say U.S. is fine because Panama takes the dollar more than they take their own currency sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true in a lot of places these days? <laughs> yes, the U.S. dollar is just fine, but take small bills yep. and be prepared. Your SUV driver fee should be arranged by your hosts, Mm -hmm. your boat hosts. But again, that will likely be paid in cash. So you may have, A, a fee to transfer you to pick you up at the airport and take you to your hotel in Panama City. Mm -hmm. And then, B, you'll also have a per-person fee to take you in a different SUV with a shared ride out to the coast, and that would be approximately 25 to $35 per person. Okay. So that's one way to take you over to Carti so that you can pay your next fee, which is to get into the Gunayala, and that is the tourism tax. Okay. And per person, that can be 10 to $15 per person. And I think you ought to just figure on the high side here because these yep. rates are tending to go up just a little bit as traffic picks up in the area. The other fee after you pay your tourism tax of about $15 per person would be your water taxi or your launch up. 
that will take you from the port of Carti. You'll catch it there on the little dock. Mm-hmm. You get aboard the boat, and it's a shared boat. Think of it as a water taxi, for those who may be familiar with those. And that's approximately $25 one way per person. Okay. And that ride will take you out to your, your host's boat. And your hosts will have made arrangements for you to know which boat you get on, the name of your skipper. Your skipper for that launcher will meet you at the Carti, help you transfer your luggage from the SUV over to the launcher, and will take you to the right boat <laughs> at the right anchorage <laughs> at the right place. And those are those fees. And there may be some additional fees for those people who want to visit an island or spend some time on an island. I understand there may be okay. certainly no more than $20 per person, but I don't think that's a universal thing. Okay. A couple questions. Uh, first of all, who did you work with? I worked with the hosts of the Blue Sky. Okay. And I will put a link in the show notes to their website so you could have a link to all of those fees that Lynn talked about. And then when we talk about the Guna people, we're talking about an indigenous people. So that's who is who we're paying that tourism tax to here is to the tribe, I guess is the appropriate term here. And what can you tell us about the Guna people? I can tell you that um, there are about, I think it, if you think of them as a geographically indigenous folk, it really helps. Mm-hmm. There are 378 islands. Imagine if you look at it on hmm. Google Maps off the coast of Panama, the San Blas slash Guna Yala islands. They, they range from tiny little islets with a white sand beach around it with one palm tree sort of hanging <laughs> out there <laughs> to, you know, medium-sized islands, the size of your living room to one the size of a house. And they go on up from there. None of the islands are very large, but out of the 378 or so islands, there are about 50,000 people of the Guna people living on those islands throughout the archipelago. Hmm. There's 50,000 Gunas who live among those 378 islands in the Guna Yala, and there are 300,000 Gunas totally who are living between Panama, Costa Rica, and Colombia. And they are a completely unique community of people. They have their own laws, they have their own norms and values, and they've really held very close to their culture, which is very different and completely different from traditional Panamanian culture. Well, and you say different and unique. You used both of those within the space of two sentences. Can you give us an example of that? Sure. Well, first of all, they are completely sovereign. Their territory includes not only the archipelago that I spoke of, the 378 islands or so, but also a mainland area, the mainland forest area. They have a section there that belongs to them as well. And that dates from, I think it was a 1925 revolution, which is that sovereignty is spelled out in the Panamanian Constitution. So the Guna people do govern their lands, larger islands, and um, in one case... One island is, it's also called, I think, the Crab. There are like 3,000 people living on 400 square yards. They really have kind of gotten filled up on the islands that can take their people. Mm -hmm. And so they're attempting to move into a community that they're developing. They've been attempting to developing this community, La Barida, on about 42 acres of land very near Carti. Because they're seeing that their islands are sinking. I mean, they're being inundated by water at the rate of, you know, maybe two and a half millimeters per year. And they're being overcrowded. So they're moving, they're planning to move many of them off the islands and onto the mainland. 
And while that was all useful information, didn't tell us anything about the culture. You said the culture was unique. What kind of things are different in that culture? I would say that the thing that strikes the visitor foremost is the attire. The mm-hmm. Guna women wear molas and very colorful beads that literally festoon their forearms and their legs, the complete length of their legs, their ankles. Very colorful beads. So when you see these rather short and stature people, they're just so colorful, the women especially, with their very colorful attire, which are a reverse applique that they use to develop these shirts that are sewn and have been these molas. Uh, they're squares about the size of a placemat, maybe, a small placemat. Mm-hmm. The technique has been developed over, I suppose, over eons in the tradition of the Guna women. And the molas used to be painted on their bodies, but when they became, I guess, started wearing more clothes due to the impact of Western culture, they transferred this body painting technique into a reverse applique sewing technique Hmm. for their clothing. So they kept these extraordinarily bright colors, vibrant colors, but they just moved them from body paint into clothing, taking the, with beads and these molas, their shirts, taking the place of the body paint. So that's very unusual and unique to them. So we've done a couple episodes that have particularly appealed to people who are enamored with textiles on Amateur Traveler. This is another one, is what what I'm hearing. So for people who Mm. like that sort of, and that's a relatively small group of Amateur Traveler listeners, but I would just, I'm looking at the pictures right now for what you're talking about. And just if you liked some of those episodes we did on northern Vietnam, for instance, or southern China that we're talking about textiles a lot, it seems like this would be another place to go. You talked about boats. Uh, we're not talking about cruise ships here. We're talking about smaller boats. What kind of range of boats are available? You know, How many people are we talk- talking about on a boat? Well, we're talking about typically you, the boats that I looked up and that I researched mm-hmm. range from approximately 42, 45 foot maybe mm-hmm. monohulls up to trimorans or catamarans that can be pretty long, pretty large, 70 feet. Depends on their draw because mm. it can be shallow in that archipelago. Sure. The bigger boats, of course, are going to have more guests on them. So if you get a big boat, you're going to be, let's say, if if it's a couple traveling or if it's a family of four, you're going to be on that boat with anywhere from 8 to 12, 16, 18 people in small cabins, that sort of thing. Okay. We chose to not quite go that way. We went the other way and said, oh, gosh, what we'd really like to do is just stay aboard with the skipper and his wife and enjoy the islands, have them take us uh, on the kind of itinerary that is typical for them. And it'll just be the two of us aboard. And that was a very comfortable craft that I selected. It was a mono-hull sailboat, but a very broad-beamed sailboat with a big awning on the back, a canvas awning to keep you under the shade so you can enjoy the breeze. It's very stable, so the boat doesn't rock a lot at anchor. It's very quiet back in those anchorages. You're not out in the ocean. You're not anchored in the ocean. You're anchored in the protected waters of the archipelago. Again, if you look at these islands on Google Maps, you can see that the islands, the windward side of the islands, are breaking all the, most of the wave action and quite a bit of the swell action from the ocean. So you're basically in a large bay in very protected waters. And, of course, if one anchors on the, the lee side or not the windward side of the island, it can be very quiet water indeed. So it was important for me because I do have some experience of private boats and larger boats not cruise ships, but Mm -hmm. being aboard 40, 50-plus foot boats, 
I found this particular 45 footer to be very comfortable and very accommodating for uh, up to four or five people aboard, but we were the only ones. We had the place to ourselves, the skipper and his wife. So it was really quite idyllic, very quiet, very peaceful, very serene. And we had the opportunity to travel around and see a different island every day and snorkel different reefs every day. Well, and give us a little bit of an idea of what kind of that itinerary is. So is every day the same? I'm going to a different island. It's a big island. It's got one palm tree. It's got a hundred and I'm doing snorkeling or are there different kind of days? They can be different depending on the weather. So the time of year is very important. I'd be happy to add a little more color to that (laughs) if, if we'd like to. Okay. For those who may be familiar with ocean sailing or or spending time on the ocean on a private boat or liverboard or something, or for those who aren't. It's just important to avoid windy season, rainy season, which of course in the tropics or the subtropics can be a real consideration. You don't want to get go visiting and have four days of rain and sit in your cabin while you're at anchor. So for us, and again, this is through consulting very closely with Debbie and Breeze, that's the hostess and her skipper husband aboard mm-hmm. Blue Sky. They're just so good about giving very good directions this best time of year, why you would come. This might be a busy time of year and a little more to pay for airfare, but it's the best time of year when it's cooler. There's no rain and the winds are pretty much slack, but mm-hmm. and yet you get a nice sea breeze. So that's why we chose to go when we did, which was in late April. Okay. Mid to late April is probably ideal. Because the rains will begin, the monsoon season probably starts, can't start as early as May. And it might be a bit windy, could make it a little rough and choppy if you're going to be out in a little boat, which you might be, you probably will be, in a little Zodiac buzzing over to the island, have an island picnic or something. So you just want to, you want to have the best weather conditions for what you're doing, which is enjoying these islands, enjoying snorkeling. Mm-hmm. And yes, each and every island and each and every reef system around the islands is completely different. But they are the same in that they are peaceful and tranquil and you you have it to yourself. There are no other boats there. There are no other partiers. There's nobody on the island. It's just you and your cooler and your snorkel gear. And you can spend an afternoon. You can spend a couple of hours snorkeling and come back to the boat. You can get out on a kayak and paddle out to the island or paddle off away from the boat. And in the background behind you, not that many miles away at all, are the range of mountains that completely run up and down that Panamanian coast. Mm -hmm. And that range of mountains just stays kind of a deep purpley blue during the day, and the sun will light the face of them in the morning. So you have this backdrop of the mountains there just completely covered in jungle, and you're out on the ocean on a 45-foot boat. You might be paddling a kayak over to this little island over here, and it's, it's a real feeling of serenity and tranquility and having the place to yourself. And you mentioned the monsoon seasons, and we've done other shows on Panama if people are interested, both on the Panama Canal as well as adventures around Panama. But I would remind people that Panama gets a lot of rain. One of the reasons the Panama Canal is there is that it gets so much rain that they can use it, especially with the older canal before they built the new one, with the whole canal system could be entirely gravity-fed because there was just hundreds of inches of rain a year. It made it so hard to build the canal, but it made it so easy to run. So that's the, that's the kind of monsoons that we're trying to avoid is a lot, a lot of rain. 
Yes, and nobody knows better, really, than your skippers, Mm -hmm. the people, your hosts aboard the boat. And this is another reason that I chose the boat that I did, because I suppose there could be a whole range of experience among the skippers and Mm -hmm. uh, captains who operate these private vessels who have permission from the Guna people to operate in this archipelago. And they are known by the Guna people. They come and visit the boat. They might come by and ask to charge their cell phone aboard the boat. They'll certainly bring a, the fruit boat uh, by. <laughs> you can buy fruit right there. Here comes the boat, and they pull up next to your boat. And you can look down in the fruit and go, oh, that looks like a great melon. And there's Debbie picking out your fruit for your dinner that night or for your breakfast tomorrow. So it sounds like rather than I, I had sort of a picture that on some of these days you would visit a Guna village or whatever on one of the larger islands. It sounded like it was more everyday kind of contact with the local people with the fruit boat or with people coming by to charge their cell phone or that sort of thing. If if I got the right picture? It could be a mix. Okay. It's really up to you. We chose in our itinerary not to spend time on the islands as much time actually with the Guna people because got our it. focus was on snorkeling reefs and the reason for that is I have a background in marine biology, and I have been snorkeling reefs throughout the Caribbean since the 1970s. Okay. And my personal search is for the last of the living reefs that haven't been bleached out. So this was really an opportunity to spend as much time underwater and above the water, aboard the craft. But having said that, these islands, people come, another alternative for an itinerary or for people who come to the islands, catch a boat at Carti that will take them out to an island and they will stay on that island with the Guna people okay. in their little village uh, and stay. That's a completely different experience and not one that I can speak to here in this particular episode, but it's something, it's something that we looked at and considered. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm, I'm more of a boat person and a snorkel person. So that was a personal preference. But yes, when Debbie reached out and sent the tips and information to us, things you can do while you're aboard Blue Sky. And she lists a bunch of things. And one of them is you can, we have friends among the Guna people, and they do this all the time. They'll meet you at our boat, and they'll take you right over there to the mouth of a river, and you can ride the boat right with them up the river. And then you can walk up and do some hiking up to a beautiful waterfall. Would you like to do that? Or... You can visit this island or visit that island, and you can visit the village and see the crafts and visit with the people there and have a a drink or a soft drink or have a meal. But these things need to be arranged ahead of time, preferably, Mm -hmm. because there are limited resources and that sort of thing. And the boat has to move from point A to point B to accommodate it so that you can easily get to that island. So you can mix and match the itinerary, really. Were there other options like that? that we haven't talked about so far that you chose or didn't choose? No, that's pretty much the options are stay aboard the boat and (laughs) enjoy the islands and paddle around. B, you can also, on one of your days that you're aboard the boat, you can visit an island and visit a village and visit with the people there and see the crafts and have a drink, have a little snack or a meal, come back to the boat and move off to another island the next day or and or maybe the third day that you're there, you're like, oh, I think we'd like to go do that waterfall thing. Why don't, but you really need to make that arrangement ahead of time okay. so that they can, the Guna people can make the arrangement to get their boat out to your boat, wherever your boat is anchored, and take you up to the river. So that would be at a certain point in your itinerary. 
when your host boat arrives off the coast at approximately the right island on the right day, and then you can catch your boat. It'll take you up the river, and you can go do a waterfall hike in the jungle, in the rainforest. Okay, excellent. Well, and then getting back to the snorkeling a bit, which you spent a lot of time doing, what is the health of the reef or the reefs down there? I would give them a, a definite 6 out of 10, but, okay. but this is based on my experience, which is really quite quite extensive. Yeah, well, that's why I wanted to ask. <laughs> I would say it's 6 out of 10 with the caveat that the further, the closer you get to the coast and the closer you get to yep. Carti, there's just more traffic on the reefs. There's been more pressure, I think, put on the reefs through fishing. Okay. There is no scuba diving allowed anywhere, by the way. It's completely illegal in oh, the really? Yala. No tanks. That's right. Huh. Because the Guna people, they're fishermen. This yes. has been their history. So they have been very dependent and still are to this day. They sell a great amount of particularly lobsters, crabs, mollusks hmm. in Panama City. And so they're, they're pulling those crustaceans and whatnot off the reefs and the fish off the reefs. And as more and more traffic, tourists, about 100,000 tourists a year now visit the Gunayala. I presume that will only increase. Hmm. That is to say, the the degradation of the reefs have been somewhat noticed because of there's some plastic in the water. Yeah. There's trash everywhere on the planet. There's no doubt about it. There's also a certain amount of maybe overfishing. Certainly, I did some research there on the amount of lobsters that are coming out of the Gunayala and about something less than half of the lobsters that are sold in the marketplace coming out of the Gunayala are pre-reproductive. In other words, they haven't even reached sexual maturity, and yet they're caught and sold. So as responsible tourists or visitors, we want to be sure that we understand what the season, the lobster season and the crab season is, and what it isn't when the season is closed, which is March through May. And I would not be expecting to eat a Caribbean lobster March through May if I were visiting there, Okay. for instance. Good to know. So this is not going to be one of our longer shows because it's a little hard to describe a day of snorkeling other than it's really fun (laughs) and you get to see a lot of pretty fish. What surprised you about this trip? I think the thing that surprised me the most was the condition of the reefs. I expected them to be much worse off than they were because Mm -hmm. they are located so close to the Panamanian coast. But obviously the offset of that is that the Guna people really do. They depend on those reefs for their livelihood, and I think they're making every effort that they can Mm -hmm. to protect those reefs, including no longer removing chunks of coral to add to the little islands that they live on. They did that for many, I guess, hundreds, thousands of years. But that's no longer a sustainable practice to try to grow your island or to protect your island from wave action by digging up coral from nearby reefs Mm -hmm. and placing it at the shoreline of your island. So that practice is definitely frowned upon and I think not so widespread with the Guna people. So they are protecting their reefs. Also, they do not allow, they will not sell or lease or rent their lands to anybody who's not a Guna. Hmm. anyone. So okay. there's very little or no chance of any, you know, large developers coming right. in on the coast. And So and even if you listen to this followed. episode 10 years from now, you're not going to find tall high-rise hotels, it sounds like, on the coast there. I believe that may be a fair statement. Unless they yes. change their direction very, very considerably. Excellent. 
besides a sunscreen and a swimsuit and maybe prescription goggles or mask if we need them, what else should we pack for a trip like this? There's no dress for dinner on the boats, I'm assuming. So <laughs> bring one pair of shorts, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't need my tuxedo <laughs> for this particular cruise that we're talking about. No, and you and you don't even need shoes. You want to stay barefoot on the boat. I would say that if you have particular provisions that you are are your favorites. If you have a favorite beverage or something, you just can't go four or five days without. <laughs> you'll want to consider bringing that, and you'll have to buy it in Panama City and yep. bring it on the SUV and bring it on the launch and, and bring it aboard. So you'll want to coordinate this with your host because the boat refrigerators have limited space. They're storing all the food for your stay or your family's stay. Right. But you do. We did enjoy a private cooler that was set aside for the two of us for oh, our okay. drinks and our snacks. So if we wanted to keep some things, we just rotate drinks into that cooler. So bring your favorite beverages. Bring backup sunglasses and backup prescriptions because you are hours away from anything. <laughs> hours. Okay. You, you may even be days away from anything. So yeah. consider, oh, my gosh, if I drop my sunglasses overboard. Remember, no scuba tanks available, so if you can't snorkel down 40 feet to go get your sunglasses, then you might want to have a backup pair. Also, I would say definitely pack light because there's very limited space aboard, particularly if it's a family coming aboard with their luggage. You want to keep your luggage small. You want to pack light. And really, you'll be wearing the same clothes for three or four days and rinsing them out and, and laying them out. Just pack very light. Make sure that you have a snorkel skin or sunblock clothing. Mm-hmm. And by snorkel skin, you mean something like a water shirt where you're yeah. reducing your your exposure to the sun. Absolutely. And also reducing your exposure to any. If you go on an island, there might be some at dawn or dusk. You can run into the annoying little chitras or the sand flies. It okay. helps protect you from those as well. Water shoes is a good idea if you're walking around on islands, although we walked around barefoot and we were just fine. But the other thing that I made a note of here was bug spray. Again, the cheatress. You know, we were in the tropics and at dawn and dusk, the mosquitoes are less a problem than the sand flies. The wind doesn't blow those away. So you really want to kind of stay off of those islands. When it starts getting dark, get off the island and avoid those cheatress. Well, and the other thing we should say with sunscreen is make sure that it is, I don't know the right term, coral reef-friendly. Eco-friendly. Basically, it's not going to damage the the coral reef. You don't want to be using that ever when you're near a coral reef sunscreen that's inappropriate. Absolutely. And also aboard a boat. Electricity can be a bit of a challenge for those who can't seem (laughs) to get away from their whatever devices. Make sure you have ample batteries and backup And don't necessarily count on the fact that a charger will be available or that you'll have a a socket to plug things into because, again, the the boat runs on electronics. And just think of the electricity as belonging to your house and not necessarily to you. Okay. So be prepared. If you, want to, if you want to read your Kindle, make sure that you have ample battery backup. Or if you're reading a book at night, make sure you have a headlamp. I always bring a, a small LED flashlight with me when I travel anyway, no matter mm-hmm. where I go. It's certainly handy if you're getting up in the middle of the night and banging into walls and trying to go to the head and not turning on the overhead light in the head to wake everybody else up. It, just having a small flashlight can help you not stumble over the combing, which is the little thing you have to step over to get through the hatchways, through doorways on boats. Okay. So if you're not familiar with boats, watch your toes and bring a flashlight. Excellent. I also suggest a small collapsible cooler for taking to the island if you want to take a couple of soft drinks or whatever. Okay. For a picnic, those are easy to pack. 
And the other thing you just really need to bear in mind is bringing cash and small bills. You'll yep. be tipping your drivers. You'll be tipping your launcher captains. You may be tipping your skipper and your host and hostess, if that's the case. You'll be prepared for that. Cash is always king. There are no ATMs. You'll have to bring cash and you'll want to have small bills. And you'll want to keep a couple of Ziplocs handy for your phones and snacks and things that you don't want to get wet or covered by salt spray particularly since the transfer and the launcher from CAR-T out to your host boat can be splashy, can okay. be quite wet. So I would suggest protecting your, your cell phone and keep your cell phone in your hand or keep it in a pocket because those launchers have a way of bouncing around and can bounce, the, bounce that cell phone right out of your hand even. So be prepared for that. And a final tip, bring a plastic garbage bag. We did. A big black one with some duct tape, maybe, and wrap your luggage in that when you get to the port of Carti. You get out there on the dock with your luggage, mm -hmm. and you're waiting to be told that, okay, this is your boat. We're getting ready to go. Everybody, load your, hand your luggage over to us. You might want to wrap your luggage in plastic to protect it because it could get very wet, especially if it rains on you. There might be a pop-up shower. Water may slop over the bow as you're transferring out to your host boat. And all of your luggage is piled forward at the bow. So luggage gets piled up in a pile, and generally there's one or two guna sitting on it <laughs> during the ride. So that's another reason why you want to bring those backup glasses and sunglasses and prescription lenses. You know, think about, think about crushed luggage and wet luggage. And just a couple of little things to do ahead of time to prepare for that really can make a difference. Anything else we want to say before we get to our last two questions? No, I think I pretty much covered all the tips that I've made a note about. You're standing in the prettiest spot in Guniala. Where are you standing and what are you looking at? Hmm. I think what I'm doing is I'm sitting aboard the Blue Sky boat. Yep. And I'm looking off the bow over the anchor line. And I see, I can hear the surf pounding on the outer reef just beyond that little tiny islet that only has six palm trees. And <laughs> I can hear those six palm trees rustling in the wind, too. And I can feel the boat gently riding at the anchor, and I'm enjoying the cooling breeze and a refreshing drink of some sort because I'm thirsty, because it's been a hot day and we've been busy snorkeling and on the island. Excellent. That's where I am. And one thing that makes you laugh and say only in Gunayala. <laughs> I would say seeing one of the traditional Guna boats under sail, beating up into the wind and crossing our path between us and that island right out there off the anchor and having the people look up and smile and wave at us. It's so tranquil, peaceful. Okay. And if you had to summarize a trip to Gunayala in three words, what three words would you use? Well, I think I might trot out my favorite word, tranquil. Well, and... yeah, I thought that might come up there. <laughs> <laughs> tranquil, cultural, and endangered. Okay, excellent. And our guest again has been Lynn Smith from lynnsmithdestinations.com. And speaking of which, Lynn, if we wanted to send somebody to the best post that you have done on this trip, where are we sending them? On this trip? Well, or on Panama. On Panama, I have one post, and they can go to lynnsmithdestinations.com. And in the menu at the top, there is a Caribbean, Volume 1, 2, and 3. 
and you'll find the Panama entry under Caribbean Volume 3 in the navigation at the top of the website. Okay, and we'll link to it directly from the show notes for here for those people who don't want to search for it. Excellent. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for coming on Amateur Traveler and sharing with us your love for this little corner of Panama. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. I always enjoy your podcast, and I'm looking forward to hearing more. Thanks. In news of the community, I had a recent iTunes or Apple Podcasts review for the show, and it was from Behorn12000 from the USA, who said, I've been listening for years, and I still love it. Chris would be enjoyable to listen to, no matter what he was talking about, a rare skill in podcasters, but the fact that his content is always interesting and engaging makes it oh so much better. He picks the greatest places to talk about and the best guests to interview, but most of all, he knows just the right questions to ask to make the location they are discussing come alive. Thanks, Chris, for all the great content you have produced. I am looking forward to hearing what is next. Well, thanks so much. I would say that there are some, my wife included, that might disagree with the he can make anything he talks about sound interesting, (laughs) but I appreciate you saying so. I also had a comment on the website, said hello from Saigon, Vietnam. I'm an English learner. I bumped into your site while I was looking for sites to learn English, and needless to say, it's amazing and helpful. I not only learn about English, but also have a great time to listen to travelers' experiences and stories. Thank you so much. Well, and thank you for the encouraging words. Before we end the show, we still do have a couple spots on that amateur traveler trip to Central Europe this September. More information about that at amateurtraveler.com slash Europe 2018. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Amateur Traveler. If you have any questions, send an email to host at amateurtraveler.com or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at amateurtraveler.com. And thanks so much for listening.